For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. How are you finding Series 4? Do let me know. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Mrs Press. With Fashion Month in the news, I've been thinking about my favourite shows. One of them has got to be Oxfam's. Seriously. Did you know they did shows? They do. For three years now, the charity has been raising pre-loved's profile at London Fashion Week. And our guest is the legendary stylist behind it all, Bay Garnet. Bay is amazing. She once ran Cheap Date magazine, which was all about thrifting. And she famously put Kate Moss in the pages of British Vogue wearing vintage. She's got a killer wardrobe and she knows how to find the good stuff in the charity shops. That's why she's long been top of my list of op shop fashionistas I wanted to pick the brains of. So find out how she does it, how thrifting has changed over 20 years and why giving garments multiple lives is now more important than ever. Bay, thank you so much for joining us on the Wardrobe Crisis podcast. Thank you very much for having me. We're in your home, which is quite lovely in London. Thanks for inviting me in and letting me meet your dogs. Your dogs are so gorgeous. Oh, well, they are. I mean, obviously, they are the most gorgeous dogs in the world. <laughs> if only we could get them to bark. Catherine Hamnett has been on this podcast and actually her dog did bark during the interview. Oh. <laughs> but I've wanted to interview you for a long time. And I said before we pressed record that you were top of my list because you are the thrifting queen. Oh, that's lovely. One never has that perception of oneself that I'm a queen of any but it's lovely that you say that thank you um, but you've been obsessed with thrifting for your yeah. whole no it's been a big big source of pleasure in my life absolutely it was just an outlet for me always so it was something I was really passionate about yes and I think right now and we mentioned this when we were chatting just before thrifting has got a different layer of meaning to it so it used to be for me certainly it was about finding all the good stuff finding original clothes I always loved getting vintage things I used to have a vintage shop actually in between it being a Vogue editor yeah. but now it's got this environmental layer put on top of it where we're talking about fighting waste and being more sustainable in our choices absolutely I mean it's kind of extraordinary how much it has changed um over well certainly 20 years where it was very much a style choice then it was you know always felt a bit political because it was that thing if you weren't buying into the system of newness of being dictated to of what was in fashion and what you should buy I always kind of rebelled against that which probably sounds to some people who know anything about my career very hypocritical well yes it probably is but I started on the thrifting thing way before I got into fashion I do love clothes and I loved incorporating vintage into fashion. So being in fashion meant that I could do that too. But now more than ever, even three years ago when I did the first Oxfam fashion show, Fashion Fighting Poverty, you know, my family, Oxfam invited people, but it was mainly my family on the front row because people just weren't really so much tapped into it. And it's extraordinary from then until, well, in September when I worked on the secondhand September campaign, the amount of interest it's like a different ball game. So and so that's fantastic. Isn't yeah, even it? in three years, it's completely turned around. So it's been quite remarkable to see. Let's just focus on Oxfam yeah. and Fashion Fighting Poverty. What does that title or, or phrase mean? Why did you come up with it? I didn't come up with it. Oxfam came up with it. I got a call from Oxfam saying, would you consider 
doing a fashion show for us. And I remember I was standing on the platform waiting for the tube. And my first instinct was like, no, I can't do that. What the fashion show for Oxfam? I mean, that's, that's going to be so much work. And oh my gosh, the pressure and all. And I kind of was like, uh, and then I put the phone down politely, said, um, I got to go, I'll call you back. And I called back two seconds later. And I was like, of course I'll do the fashion show. I kind of stopped being such a scaredy cat. And when you say too much work, what? Because no, just I felt daunted by it. I don't mind hard work, but I felt oddly daunted by it. This sort of pressure of wanting to do a really good job, and it was all down to me. Mm. And in the sense of if you're styling a normal show, you're collaborating, and that it felt very singular, it felt very uncollaborative, and that sort of frightened me. But then that I moved, and then immediately after feeling like that, it turned into excitement and a challenge you say that your family were in the front row but let's talk about the sorts of people that you roped in to be models yeah well Stella Tennant's a good friend of mine and so she was in the first show and in the second one she did second hand September so she's been like more like a collaborator in some ways and then I Erin O'Connor Erin O'Connor Bella Freud yeah Bella Freud so yeah people I definitely roped in Daisy Lowe Daisy Lowe no so cool of them to do it I mean you make it fun grateful you know what actually what's interesting is that it is fun it's really manic before as you can imagine and all these dresses from a styling school come and do it for free and but what's really the overriding feeling for everybody when that show finishes is it's emotional I can't explain it because it's like everyone's done something for I don't want to say a higher purpose but something beyond selling clothes or something beyond the constraints of fashion it's for something else it's for something else and you feel that and it's a really it's a big communal feeling and so everyone afterwards is like oh my god you know you feel it and that's a wonderful feeling because everyone's done their bit and it's wonderful actually but in the context of london fashion week to have thrifted second-hand clothes on the runway modeled by cool people who are in some cases household names and are going to get the headlines in the morning you know this is something quite radical because this is not how we look at fashion week it's not what fashion week is for that is true and it was oxfam's idea and i feel i don't want to say privileged or it sounds a bit smug but i do feel privileged that i've had the opportunity to do that show because i think that a lot of people probably people listening to this who are as good as me at finding great finds or putting stuff together you know would love the chance to do that and so i do feel really lucky that i was given that opportunity because it has been a really lovely thing in my life you've got a title now I have got, yeah, I'm Senior Independent Fashion Advisor. I suppose what I want to do for Oxfam is try and put some of the, the big brands have all this money and glamour and I want to try and shift some of that sprinkling of fairy dust onto Oxfam because Oxfam is as much fashion as anything else. Fashion is just an interpretation of clothes and style. So Oxfam is as fashionable if you take what you want and you make it stylish, is anything else that costs a thousand pounds. Give us an example of two outfits that you put together for one of these shows that you that stand out in your mind. Gosh, there's been quite a lot of outfits that I really like. Because what I try and do is, is do like archetypes. So I'll do a hippie look and I found these amazing patchwork jeans, like as if they were straight from 
that festival in the 70s, uh, Woodstock, and then did makeup around her eyes and did a... So I loved that hippie look. And then I did Laura Bailey, who's Catherine Deneuve, very chic in a trench and kind of bows. And so in a way it's about... And then I try and do a Cellini look. Like So I found an 80s, very beautiful Calvin Klein, narrow cashmere coat. So what I try and do is instead of a sort of cohesive show, I try and do... Looks. And now do a Gucci girl. So yeah, exactly. Examples of fashion and then put them all together in this mix. That's the way I approach it. So it's not like a linear show. That's not Oxfam. That isn't thrifting. It's about the mix. So I try and interpret that into the fashion show. And what do you think is the higher purpose of putting together these looks and these ideas on the runway? Well, for me, it's a very simple message in that if Oxfam sell more clothes online and in their shops, it raises money that goes towards feeding the poorest people in the world, quite literally. And it goes towards awareness now, sustainability. And it goes to, you know, I've been to different countries with Oxfam. I've been to Senegal and West Africa. I've been to Jordan, to the biggest refugee camp in Jordan on the Syrian border. And, you know, once you go to somewhere like that, you see the work on the ground, you know, you turn up and you see water tanks with Oxfam printed on them. And, you know, when you see that, you realise that the money, it goes to the ground, you know, providing clean water, clean sanitation. And now Oxfam are doing a lot in terms of the environment as well and how we can make things a bit better. I don't want to start talking about their initiatives because I, I don't know enough about them, but certainly they do so much. And so if I can help raise their profile in that way and make more sales, well, then that money is going to somewhere that's only good. And actually, it's interesting to remind ourselves that, of course, everyone knows that charity shops fund charities. However, I think in the broader conversation about fighting fashion waste, sometimes we forget the double good that you're doing by shopping from an outlet like that, because you're also, okay, it's secondhand keeping clothes in the loop for longer, but you're also actually funding decent things. Exactly. It's, I mean, that it's, matters. It's a beautiful thing. It's two really good things. Exactly. And that's kind of, wow. That's why I find it so um, rewarding. And yet, do you think that the stigma around secondhand being supposedly second best in some people's eyes persists? Or is that all over? Yes. And I think sometimes secondhand can be second best. You know, you can go into a secondhand shop and you can find nothing. And then if you walked into a Saint Laurent shop next door, well, you might find 10 things. So it depends how you're looking at it. You know, secondhand shops, they don't always deliver. And yet that's what we like. But that's the exactly, of the chase. that's what we like. And so it really depends on how you're looking at it and what you're demanding to get out of it. But, you know, I've always got so much out of it. And I love it. I love everything about them. I love the music. I mean, in New York, they used to be like in the Bronx and in Queens, you'd go to Salvation Army and it'd be like Benny King on really loudly. And you could never hear it because you had your Walkman in. I know, that's true. But it was always had this kind of great, I just loved this like craziness of it all. I um, say that because I, I was reading an interview that you did um, with Show Studio and you were saying okay. that Marlon, who was your old art director, Marlon Richards also an amazing creative person himself, drew a picture of you with two big bin bags of stuff and you walked one in and that was basically how he knew you as New York thrift. And he did arrows pointing to can't hear anything, Walkman on. Yeah, other people's old clothes. I don't know where that drawing in. It was great, that drawing. I don't know where it is. That's so annoying. But yeah, no, I, that's, I always had a bin liner over my shoulder. Let's go back to that time in New York. So 
I know you first and foremost from Cheap Date, which was an iconic zine mag that you created with Kira Jolliffe and started in 1997. Yeah. You know what? Kira created it and then I came on board. We were both really passionate about thrifting. I mean, we were so passionate about it. And so then... Yeah, we did stuff together. And then I went to New York and I edited an issue and I did these fake campaigns. The fake, let's hang on a minute, because that's amazing. What were they? They were, have you seen them? Yeah. Yeah, uh, they basically, so Yves Saint Laurent became Salvation Army and Christian Dior became Charity Donor and Cartier became cast off and Burberry became borrowed and they were shot with vintage, with second, actually proper secondhand clothes from Salvation Army and stuff, Goodwill. And, and sometimes you shot them yourself, but sometimes you worked with phenomenal photographers. Yeah, I never shot those. I worked with, yeah, Craig Medine and Glenn Lutchford shot them. So they had to have a really good high spec for them to work. Otherwise, it's a half-baked idea. Do you know what I mean? You've got the idea. They have to be executed to be look like you have to do a double take so yeah so I remember I had all these old thrift clothes in a bag and then I went and Craig McDean was shooting a story for American Vogue and he kept the, the, all the team and so I went in at the <laughs> end and we used the team and did it in 10 minutes some of them just bang bang so you know because obviously I couldn't afford any of those models or that studio so it and was, yet you got them to do it I mean I just love it when we talk about zines and we think about political kind of renegade publications I don't know I'm thinking about a riot girl but in your case okay DIY make do and men but also with some of the greatest creatives we can think of well I was lucky I mean it was kind of about like it often is not knowing the right people I hate I always hate the way that sounds but I was really you know I really drove that but it was also because the idea was so fantastic. You'd want to be part of it, right? You'd want to be part of it. I yeah, mean, fun, yeah, creative. I, I, I think so. I think so. And I guess, you know, they did. And actually, Alistair Mackey, I did the Christian Dior with Glenn Lotchford before in another shoot, another magazine were doing a shoot. And I got there at eight in the morning. It was really nice of him. But Alistair Mackey, who I think is the fashion director of another man, or he let me come in and Glenn was there and he shot it so actually people were very kind actually I've never thanked him for that but that was really nice thank of him, him now too. thank you <laughs> Alistair Matthew. if listeners are wondering who we're talking about we'll share some links um Glenn Lutchford of course was most recently super famous for doing all the Gucci campaigns yeah. but we'll share some links and also we'll share some pictures if we can get hold of them from some of those old cheap date spreads you could also buy the book that you published when was that Gosh, that was just as my son was born. So that must have been 2006, so long time ago, before the internet. So it kind of makes much more sense if you think about it before Google Images. You also did this thing and you called it shop dropping. Um, Yeah, what we did was we'd get old thrifted stuff, like big pair of pants, like massively oversized or something a bit fun or like a really kind of disgusting nylon top and we'd get bubble pens those pens so the writing is oh, yeah. sort of raised so they look it's quite childlike and we'd write messages just like please like p-w-e-e-z-e please take me home I'm free <laughs> or like I'm lonely and so we dropped them in Victoria's Secret or we dropped them in the window at Prada and but hang on a minute you dropped them in the window at Prada we actually managed to do that on Prince Street or the huge one in New York in Soho and the Prada staff were going nuts because there was a crowd gathered I mean this was before phone cameras or do you know what I mean like it was before anything like that but I people were gathered and the dress 
was positioned in such a way where it was really weird. It was kind of this amazing bit of luck where I put it in or whoever would put it in, one of me or someone else doing it, where the shop assistant couldn't see it. It was perfectly obscured by the mannequin. So the shop assistants were like literally going, what? I remember calling people up going, you've got to get down to Broadway. You've got to come and look at this. It's classic. And people would, some of my friends turn up and they were like, oh my God, because there were crowds and the Prada staff were just going... (laughs) What the hell's going on? They look so paranoid with reason. And everyone was going, when I say everyone, there was quite a gathering of people. But they couldn't figure out what it was because to them it looked, there was nothing there because the dress was perfectly in line with the mannequin facing outwards. You were renegade rebels taking over the system. But if we look back at the images that you created they included friends and models that were people like Karen Nelson, like close of any, yeah. like, um, who else? Anita Pallenberg. Anita Pallenberg. I did a lot of thrifting with Anita Pallenberg. Oh, Anita. The last time I saw Anita, I know she was a dear friend of yours, but the last time I saw her was on the runway for Pam Hogg. Oh, yeah. In that did gold jumpsuit. Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, she was terrific, wasn't she? Yeah, she was amazing. Talk about thrifting. She invented she was, it, right? Yeah, she was a genius at it. I learned a lot from Anita, I have to say. What did God, she, she teach made, you? She made clothes and style just so much fun. She made it a game. Finding stuff, swapping stuff, lending stuff. Did you get to borrow her stuff? Yeah, I've got I've got quite a lot what of Anita stuff. Yeah, I've got this really good top she gave me that I love, that I actually recreated for a capsule collection I did called the Anita Top. And, oh my God, like this brilliant old big chunky bell. I mean, look, to be honest with you, I've lost so much of my stuff. I know I've lost stuff. Oh, she gave me this amazing military coat, Anita, amazing with kind of sheep wool cuffs in that kind of frizzy sheep with like military badges. I mean, so cool. For a long time, I was researching a book about Anna Piaggi, which is currently under the bed and will be revealed one day and continued. But I interviewed lots of old 60s heads who used to hang around the King's Road and shop at the Chelsea Antiques Market. She was one of those characters. But in yes. the 60s, that's what people did because the clothes weren't there. You could perhaps go to Bieber, you could go to Mary Quant, but if that wasn't your vibe, you looked for 1930s things. You looked exactly. for original flapper dresses. You looked for, well, later, you got an yeah. Afghan coat that someone had brought over the hippie trail. Exactly, that's exactly what Anita did. Anita loved the 30s and she had beautiful lame, actually that her mother saved, but she had beautiful lame. She did love the 1930s, Anita. She also loved that kind of Hollywood glamour, like Joan Crawford. She loved all that. She had, oh, yeah, yeah. She had incredible knowledge. Well, they used to knowledge. go to the cinema, didn't they? They used to go to the electric cinema all dressed up in actual 30s. I didn't know that, yes. did they? Oh, I've I didn't been know talking that. to all these people. You know, people like to share their memories when they are... I guess, a long way forward from them, you know. Yeah. And so I had wonderful conversations with people who would tell me specific outfits. This yeah. is what we got from the Chelsea Antiques Market. This is what Anita bought. This is what Jimi Hendrix bought. Right, okay. Yeah, I'm I sure mean, you're right. People, Anita didn't like to talk about it very much, actually. She she didn't like, like people asking it. her. She just felt like, okay, I'm alive now. I don't want to talk about what I did 40 years ago. But, but that for was me, just the fashion thing's so interesting. Like, I'm desperate to talk about what's in the back of your closet from 100 yeah. no, years ago. I know, I know. But she also had an incredible kind of scope of star references so she loved the gangster look with the wide pan and the spats and she understood she had a brilliant filtering system of extrapolating kind of archetypes and style and making it her own where did your obsession with this come from 
I don't know, really. I mean, for me, I never did that well at school. I kind of was a bit of a school dropout, really. Did you study art history? I did. Having said that, I studied art history and modern history at university. So I wasn't really... I kind of was, though. I bunked off school a lot. My sisters, I have two older sisters, both of whom are very academic. One is a a wonderful journalist, Daisy Garnett. Well, yeah, she really is. And my other sister's the head of film at the BBC, which is great. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I think that I always felt kind of slightly left out from that and so for me charity shops was absolutely my way of doing my own thing did you get your mum's stuff so your mother is also a wonderful writer and mm. used to work for Dinah Vreeland yes yeah, she did I mean that's just amazing I, I actually didn't know that till I was coming to see you and I googled I know, that I she's know got brilliant telegrams actually from Dana going Polly when my mum got married she sent my mum a telegram or engaged you know amazing telegrams that are in this book that my mum has of fantastic article you know amazing in the book article. the big book of Davies letters I don't know if they're in there oh, no, but there no, is no, a no, wonderful mom, book like, in my yeah. mum's scrapbook the original telegrams from her which is brilliantly you know you can imagine three lines but brilliant yeah so my mum's a writer exactly I can't sorry I can't remember oh, no, I was wondering if you mom. got her clothes no my mum wasn't really into clothes my mum's into beautiful objects that she's collected from not expensive places but she's definitely got great style she but she's never clothes on her thing so I didn't really get anything from my mum wardrobe wise what we need to know and I'm sure what everyone is sitting there thinking is what are the tips (laughs) so in however many years you've spent trawling flea markets thrift stores portobello wherever you can find the gems what are your best tips my best tips are, A, you know, be in the mood. You know, there's no point going to charity shops if actually you don't really want to that day. I, it sounds so obvious, but sometimes I go and I'm like, actually, I can't, I don't want to do this today. And the other tip I would say is go in. If you're going to do it, like go in with like energy and a mission. Try and think, well, I really want to find a great denim jacket. That's like what I objective. want to find, an objective. And then, you know, it's like a kind of the universal thrifting magic will kick in and you will, you might not find the denim jacket, but you'll find something really good. I really believe that. I sometimes go in and I'm like, okay, I haven't found anything for ages. Come on. I just Come on, really want to find something. <laughs> and I do. I usually do. And so I would say that I'd say to go in with exactly with an objective, with an objective would be my main tip. And then, you know, that thing of using your imagination, of lifting something out of context. So something looking not so, well, actually, that would look great with that that I have at home. It's the open mind. Yeah, open mind, but more than an open mind. Like actually like using your imagination with stuff, making it into a different, you know, shifting it around and imagining what you've got already. Would that work? You know, would I wear that? And the the million dollar question, crucially, is am I going to wear it? Because if you're not, don't get it. Because if you're not, you're actually still becoming hoarding fast fashion person, even though you're buying secondhand. Yeah, and also who wants stuff they don't want in their wardrobe? Oh, I God, mean, or no behind the door it. in the sewing pile where mine is. Really? <laughs> I always buy things going, if only it was shorter, it had yeah, a different waist. Yeah, exactly. But Maybe you never I'll do change it. it. Yeah, 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 totally. I try and be quite ruthless now. I don't buy something unless I think it's really good. What was the last or best thing you recently acquired? Weirdly, actually, denim jacket story, I got a, it's a tiny bit on the small side, but I was in the cancer care on Chiswick High Road and I went in going, come on. Okay, I haven't done this for a few weeks. I haven't been into a charity shop, but I really do want to find something. And I was thinking, well, there's nothing here. And then I went to the men's rail and I found a really good APC 
denim jacket that was beautifully worn in. It's really good. So it must be from the 90s, I would say. But I found that. Actually, going to the menswear rail is a good tip. I've bought loads of men's shirts from Oxfam or yeah. the cancer research shop or the RSPCA. My other tip is to go to posh neighbourhoods. <laughs> Seems yeah, posh elementary, but posh neighbourhoods yeah. are full of amazing labels. You just can't believe what people turf out. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to wear it to impress you today, babe, <sighs> but it's pissing down and I was like, I'm not going to wreck it. The last time I was in Vinnie's, which is... It's a charity shop in Australia, but they have some good stuff. I was in the Paddington branch, which is a bit of a swanky neighbourhood. And I look, I've often bought Pringle jumpers in there. I've got three. Oh, wow, that's great. I think it's the same lady who's just passing them on. One's got a little mend on one shoulder, which makes me like it more. But I'd gone in hoping for more Pringle goodness and there wasn't any. And then I was leaving. And as I passed the counter, I just looked above it and there was a coat. And I was like, (gasps) yes, you got it. That's amazing. It's Saint Laurent. Wow, that's great. It really is. And I thought, it can't be. You put it on, it really is. It's like a perfect tuxedo coat. I knew the label. And honestly, it's the best thing I've ever, ever, ever touched. And it was $200, which is expensive for a thrifted item. It's the most expensive, perfect thousands of dollars piece of booty. Oh, lucky you. Oh, my God. But I love that. But that's probably the best thing I've ever got. Yeah. However, it just goes to show that it's not all junk. And there are amazing things that people pass on. But I do want to talk to you about the prevalence of junk and cheaper clothes that is now flooding the secondhand market. Have you found it's become harder to find good yes. stuff? Yeah, for sure. A lot of the time, they didn't used to be like that. You know, charity shops used to be much more eclectic and diverse and in, it, in what you could find. And now it's true that a lot of, there is a lot of, previous seasons fast fashion in there and I think that's legitimately off-putting for people Mm. it's certainly off-putting for me you know I don't want to see it at the best of times you know Mm. when it's new I I don't want to see it in charity shops but um I don't know what the answer is I think that within that you can absolutely find good stuff oftentimes actually I've noticed is that the people who run these charity shops are cottoning onto that they're understanding that and oftentimes there's a vintage rail and you can find some really good stuff on that. I've noticed that Cancer Care have done it on Portobello Road. Um, Hospice has done it. I've noticed it in quite a few charity shops now. There's a vintage rail and that you, you can get stuff. You can also get designer rails. Trade in Westmore Grove has got a whole rail of designer things that are wonderful things. I mean, things exactly. you would normally go to a consignment store to so find. I think that that's the way that that's being dealt with as well. From I think they realise that too, you know, but they have to sell it. You know, they have to sell the fast fashion stuff because they can't turn away clothes. Here's a terrible story for you. I was doing a research project with Salvos, which is Salvation Army in Australia, looking through all their stuff in some of the big depots. And in one place, I went and talked to the sorters, who are incredible people. They're volunteers. They're giving up their time to do this job, raking through our muck, trying to find things that they can sell to raise money for the charity, and then dispatching that which they think is unsellable to the bin. Now, they're not trained in touch the tweed, for goodness sake. They are volunteers. And I found them throwing away this fantastic, I forgot the label, but something great that was like a 70s tweed perfect skirt. And I said, oh, no, what are you doing? What are you doing? And she's all oh, dirty, dirty. So what they would do is, if it looks really old and what we would think is fab, portobello-style 
vintage. They think it's a bit fusty, it's a bit disgusting right. and old, and they tough it in the bin. And I found all sorts of things in the bin, and I went to them afterwards and said, can I come in and do some tips and training to tell them, like, actually there's value in, you know, they were throwing away wonderful hats, like incredible 1940s hats, because they're looking for right. Zara, because okay. they know that Zara is, or they think that Zara is a saleable fashion thing, and they, okay. so they're pulling out all the H&M, chucking it in the in the shop that smells fresh and clean, and anything that smells distinct, you know, faintly okay. fusty, they get rid of it. It's old, yeah, that's such a shame. Which is Granny's Attic and all the good yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's such a shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about Secondhand September. So this is a brilliant initiative that I'm not sure how big it was outside of the UK, but in the UK it was covered hugely everywhere. Bazaar, BBC, all the newspapers. What is it? Secondhand September was a, is an initiative by Oxfam and it's about exactly that, Secondhand September, just buying secondhand for the whole month of September. And but there was a pledge. And there was a pledge which is I'm signing up to Secondhand September and the pledge was not to buy anything new. And so I got involved because I had a meeting with Oxfam about it and I thought it would be great to turn it into a visual campaign. And then Stella was up for doing it and then we turned it into a shoot. So it sort of was really fun to work on. I went up to the warehouses, got loads of clothes. Stella's daughter did it with Stella and... You know, it was also a really, really good idea from Oxfam's part. But it wasn't just about literally not shopping for new things, new clothes in September. Really, more than that, what it's about was trying to get people to just change and rethink how they shop and how much they buy new things. So it was more philosophical. It also was good awareness raising in some of the stats that came out of a report that was associated with that are, for example, £140 million worth of clothes in the UK alone enters landfill every year and also two tons of clothing are bought every minute here. Britain is a big consumer of clothes particularly fast fashion 11 million items every week go to UK landfill I don't know where those landfills are but that doesn't seem possible but apparently that is the number and so you're right secondhand September is also sort of an anecdote to those figures and it was really to make people just reevaluate the way that they shop and consume. Do you think that during fashion months, as it is now, many editors or people in the industry embraced it? I know one, Daisy, who works at UKL. Yeah, I mean, people were kind of nice about it and they were very, they liked it. And I think that all fashion editors at least the ones I know, they're all super concerned about the environment, like everybody is. I think that everyone supports and acknowledges that, you know, something like Secondhand September, that's a good thing. Everyone's in a difficult position in that we're in a critical point and everyone knows that, so do we all just stop? You know, it's very complicated time for people in jobs, people who have jobs that that are probably bad for the environment and people who... It's a very, very critical and difficult time because we know that we're at a point where there's no going back. I I don't know the answer, of course. And I know that I need a life that's not helping the environment at all in many ways. You know, I flew to Canada in the summer. I drive a car, you know. I fly everywhere all the time. I've got what the... So we, you know, I've got flight shame. But in a sense, it's like I do the stuff for Oxfam and I really enjoy that and I love secondhand. But ultimately, 
you know, I think we're getting to the point now where unless people like you stop flying around all the time, I stop flying, I stop driving a car that's actual fossil fuels, it's, then we should all just, that, that's what we need to do instead of even talking about it, is actually we need to start implementing that into our own lives because that's where we're at now. Listeners will know that my aim with my work and this podcast and everything I do is to try to shift the industry towards being more sustainable. But there's always going to be an argument for let's not have a fashion industry. It's the least useful, least necessary thing you can think of, dawning yourself with new clobber. Yeah, well, people are always going to want to buy new things, you know, that's never going to stop. And it's a business. But I don't know what the answers are. Mm. But and I'm not just talking, I know what this is about clothes and fashion and thrifting, but I'm talking about everything. If what the science says is true, then, you know, everything should be stopping in one sense, mm. because it's not a theoretical crisis. It's one that's absolutely, unless the scientists are wrong, maybe they are. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but if the scientists are right, then Greta Thunberg made, it was an absolutely appropriate speech, like, you know, shame on, shame on everyone mm. who's not changing to, mm. so I don't know, but, and there's definitely a different feeling at fashion shows now because people are aware of it. And it's like this light elephant in the room, I think. Mm. So I was, oh, right. Okay. Okay. Hi. Yeah. Just, these are going to be produced in six months and then there'll be a pre-fall and then there'll be a fall. And, you know, I've, I've kind of always felt slightly on the outside like that because I've always thrifted and I've always felt slight kind of rebellion in a way to all this new stuff that we get presented with I've always felt slightly on the outside of it and that, that might sound I don't mean to sound superior I really don't it's just genuinely how I've always felt about fashion I've always felt slightly on the outside of it sometimes that doesn't always feel nice you know sometimes it's you know you want to feel but I, that's just how I feel so but I feel similar in that it's an industry that I've spent my whole career in. I spent 20 years as a fashion journalist and there's so much about it that I love. The people, the creativity, the amazing ideas that come from designers and all the creatives who put the imagery together. All those things float my boat and yet there is this tension because you know that you're fueling consumption. I mean, that's what fashion does at its core. Absolutely. It makes you want more stuff and it 100%. glamorizes the getting of the stuff. Exactly. And when you don't have to think about actually, okay, what does that mean? When you don't have to look behind that, you can carry on doing it in a way where it's fun and it's creative and you can look at the surface of things. You don't have to look at the politics of like, okay, I'm saying you should get this, you want this, I'm going to create desire for you. But you can tap over that for a long time and you might not even have a problem with that. One might not even have a problem with that. But... When things are the way they are now, you can't ignore the ambivalence of that. Mm. But then I think that coming back to this idea of use what you have, thrifting, secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand, whatever it is, beyond clothes but everything, I think that does actually contain the kernel of some kind of solution. Not saying that we can solve everything by just buying an old lamp from a market. However, I think this idea of changing culture so that we recognise the value in stuff that already exists and then apply that creativity that we get so excited about to some of that. You've done that your whole career, as well as also working in conventional fashion. But there's something in that. And I think the idea of decoupling, it is a radical idea. Perhaps it's too radical for someone who still works at Vogue. But the idea of decoupling commerce from 
the other things that drive the passion for fashion, which is ideas, fantasy, visuals, community. I think there's something in that. I mean, maybe we could commodify that instead of always the production of new. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, the only, the big problem is, is that, you know, the production of new is commerce. And commerce is how people earn their living. And, you know, look at Donald Trump. He's like the emblem of like commerce over everything. And I'm not comparing the fashion world to Donald Trump. I'm just saying that people don't want to stop. And why should they want to stop? It's their living. Mm. But I think what's happening now in fashion, you know, the fact that people don't want to stop is utterly understandable. Because it's how they're living. And actually, it's easy to point fingers. But actually, until two years ago, no one was talking about this. No one was talking about this. No one was doing anything that wasn't okay, you know. But for obviously for a small minority of people who have always been kind of aware of it and everything. And but I think that um, I think for brands, unless they move into a more sustainable way of doing things, they might not survive. I think that it's going to become just you know part of absolutely what consumers absolutely demand mm. and they think they won't buy things that aren't that's where I think it's going to go really soon I in fact someone might listen to go god you're so behind the times that's <laughs> what's happening now I mean I'm sure it is in many ways but I think in a much more kind of 360 like cross the board people just will not have any tolerance for brands that aren't genuinely sustainable I think that's happening too I think that's happening too and we're seeing a lot of innovation and a lot of people really working hard to try to shift things but you can't do it tomorrow but there are also people brands and people within brands doing nothing and I think that's starting to look very old-fashioned very old-fashioned I also yeah and I think that brands are really frightened by it but I think that as I say you know if you don't do anything then you might not be in business soon because as I say it will just absolutely be standard it won't even be this kind of credible thing it will just be that every course everyone has to be sustainable and if that means some brands you know I mean it's going to be really hard for some brands. It's obviously much more expensive. I mean, I don't know how it works. At, or some, I don't have a brand, but I can imagine it makes things a lot more complicated. But, you know. Let's just talk a little bit about what the role of the media can play in this. And in particular, the way that you have integrated vintage and thrifted pieces into your shoots forever. I want to end on that because some of that's so joyous. Let's talk about Kate Moss in 2003, shot by Jürgen Teller, wearing a banana top that you found in a market. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, God, it feels nearly 20 years ago. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was kind of a great story. I remember I, Alex Shulman, who's the editor of Vogue, had seen my fake campaigns that I talked about earlier in Cheap Date, and I got called up. And I was quite not into fashion then at all. I was, didn't understand fashion. I was like, why would anyone want to spend that much money to get something that someone else is wearing? Anyway, I went to, I remember having this meeting with Alex and being quite kind of like, yeah, I've got a meeting at Vogue, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> and being a bit like that. And I genuinely felt like that. It was, you know, I really wasn't into fashion. I had this meeting with Alex and she said, I've seen the work that you've done with Cheap Date. Would you like to be a contributor? At Vogue, and I said, "Yeah, well, I would." And she said, "Well, have you got any ideas?" And I said, "Well, I'd love to do a shoot. Me and Anita Pallenberg love thrifting, and I'd love to do a shoot using our vintage stuff. You know, just vintage, just old clothes from charity shops." And weirdly, it was <laughs> I just, just find this excellent. <laughs> well, you know, because that's all I knew about. 
I didn't know what a fashion idea was. I'd never seen a collection. It was the only genuinely, you know, tuxedo looks from the pre for I'd never looked at a fashion show in my life. So I didn't have anything else to suggest. So can I just do a shoot on my thrift store clothes? Because... Because I've got my bin bags here and there's stuff I've got my bin bags, yeah. And she said... And Kate Moss loves a bit of that, so she'll be up for it. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, Alex said, well, actually, I'm working on this issue, the art, the music issue, which turned out to be quite an iconic issue of Vogue, actually. Anyway, I did it. And I I bought this banana top that I loved and I had a woven belt and these little shorts. and, And then I did it. And it's funny, you do something and, you know, who knew... You know what I mean? That that image was going to be such a sort of enduring image in a way of, of sort of maybe vintage. It's a, Kate Moss looks incredibly beautiful. And it was a great shoot. We had such fun on it, actually. And so that's how it came about. And I remember Alex calling me saying, have you called in any other clothes? And I remember thinking, <laughs> I don't, what is that? What, what is that? <laughs> anyway, I learned, I learned. And then a few shoots after that, Alex was like, I don't Could you put, put any something vintage from an advertiser, please, yes. on page four? And I'd be like, I'd always squeeze something in. Always. A vintage thing. Yeah, always. So, because to me, a rail didn't look complete unless there was some old bits. Because that's the nature of clothes, a wardrobe. Now, for listeners who've never worked in a magazine or known anyone who works behind the scenes in a magazine or looked into how it actually comes together, you might just be like, well, so what? Of course, that sounds eminently reasonable. Of course, you would put vintage and cool old stuff in with new. No, this is not how it works because magazines need to be paid for. And magazines are paid for by advertisers and advertisers make clothes, whether it's Prada, Ferragamo, you name it, I don't know, Burberry. And when we do shoots, we put those clothes in the magazine. Now, I'm not suggesting the advertiser dictates which those clothes are, but absolutely certainly fashion directors and fashion teams will call in clothes from advertisers, sometimes covers, we know that the cover's going to be head-to-toe Mew Mew because that's how it goes. But the idea of putting in vintage and thrifted is revolutionary because you can't buy it. It's not just that appeasing the advertisers. I mean, I used to work on Sunday Style. If ever you had a picture of an actor wearing something you couldn't buy, you get the phones would run hot. Where can I get these shorts? Where can I get this coat? And you'd have to say, you can't. It's from, you know, and the reader would get cross. So there's all sorts of reasons why this is not how it goes. That's absolutely true. And good on Alex. The other thing is, is that was also a point in fashion where people weren't into vintage at all. People were quite into it. It was kind of logo. And so that shoot was also like just so different from what was going on, where it was high gloss, it was hyper retouched kind of new stuff and then 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 you had like these kind of old brilliantly skanky shorts with this <laughs> 70s banana top and other stuff and then some of Anita's great fake fur monkey fur jacket all right can we finish on three rapid questions yes best thing you ever thrifted it would have to be my banana top I think cheapest thing you ever thrifted can I include buying a t-shirt from the street with diamante studs of cocktail glasses with studs in the cocktails how much was it I like a dollar. <laughs> okay, thing on your thrifting bucket list you'd most like to happen upon? I'd love to just find like a super cool Critzia 70s sweater or not, it wouldn't have to be a designer or a great 60s Gucci bag, original, black patent, you know, something like that, Italian. One that got away? Uh, lots got away. I mean, all the stuff that I've bought that I lent out and stuff <laughs> has got away. Yeah, they were all mine though before they got away. <laughs> How stupid is that? It's good to be Bay Garnet's friend. You get all the hordes. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thrifty past with us, Bay Garnet. Thank you so much. <laughs> now it's getting hot.
Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis, so I'd love your help with that because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you.